You're listening to Sermon Audio from Christ Church LeGrand. Let's jump straight into the text uh, for this week. So we're in uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. beginning in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So we've seen... uh, We've seen this kind of over and over in in Mark's gospel where um, he doesn't waste any words. He he doesn't waste uh, stories. He doesn't waste space and time. The stories that he's choosing to include and the way that he puts the stories together, we've we've looked at this sandwich thing that that Mark does. This is not a sandwich today, but he, he structured his gospel and put things together with with some precision and with some artistry. It's strategic, it's it's powerful and it's beautiful and, and the purpose of all of it is to illuminate the person and the work and the ministry of, of Jesus. That that as we read and as we study and as we dig in, we, we get this fuller and fuller picture of who the real Jesus is. So this is another example of that where Mark is, is teaching us something that's, that's bigger than this really kind of seemingly awkward interaction between uh, Jesus and this woman. It's, it's strategic in, in where the story sits in the narrative. It's, it's powerful when we, we suddenly see what's actually happening on, on this page. And then it's, it's beautiful in, in the grand scope of, of redemptive history that that now includes Christians today, you and me. And then it's scandalous, as, as we'll see. So reading through that story, um, this is either one of the most insulting things Jesus has ever said, uh, or it's just kind of weird. It's just, just kind of a strange interaction. Like, did he, did he really just suggest that this, this woman is a dog? And then refuse, refuse to heal her daughter. Was that his first response? Is to insult her, use use a really incredibly insulting term, a dog. And then, even though he's fully capable, just refuse refuse to help. Is he really saying then, I'm here for them, but not for you? Is that really what's happening in 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 this story? Or. And this, this was sort of an intriguing line of thought. Uh, maybe, maybe this is, this is the ancient, like, biblical roots of, of our slang usage of, of dog. 
like, like homie or, or bro. So she comes in and she's like, my daughter's sick. And Jesus is like, nah, dog. <laughs> it ain't time yet. And then she goes, well, maybe you could just do this like under the table. Like, I don't know, you know, we could maybe rewrite, for the record, I don't think that that's, that's what's happening. But as we work through this, it's not very far off, not very far off from the truth. So let's, let's just work through some of the important elements of this significant story, kind of a strange story. Let, let's work through some of the big pieces as we, as we unpack this. The first you'll, you see here again is, is bread. Bread, again, plays this prominent central role in this story again. So there's this ongoing connection and significance in this sort of middle section of Mark's gospel where, where bread continues to play this, this central role. And it might start back as far as chapter 5 when, when Jesus raised the little girl and then, and then the last thing he says in that story is he tells her parents to give her something to eat. And then the next scene, he's rejected in his hometown, and, and when he sends the 12 out on mission without him for the first time, he gives this really clear command to not take bread with them. And we saw that historical significance there. And, and then, then we have the feast in the wilderness where bread and fishes multiplied, where Jesus provided abundantly in a desert place. When he walks on the sea, the hard hearts of the disciples is connected with this persistent misunderstanding of the loaves, of the bread. They didn't get it, and so their hearts were still hard. And then last week, we looked at the scribes and Pharisees mounting this offensive against him about the ceremonial hand-washing that was formally required. It's not in the text, but it was one of those things formally required anytime you broke bread. And then this strange interaction with, with a brisk parable in the middle about children and dogs and bread. I'm not sure if, if when we're reading through this, if we can really fully get how scandalous this scene, this scene really is. Like we can, we can just miss um, the, the scandal. And if anything, we, we might think that Jesus' words and Jesus' reply is, is the scandalous part. But the entire scene before we even get to Jesus speaking is, is scandalous before we get to that point. This, this is, um, as, as far as we know, uh, the first, but maybe even the only time that Jesus has left the historical boundaries of Israel. So the historical borders of Israel. This is, this is the first time and possibly the only time that Jesus leaves those historical borders. So he, he's now in decisively pagan territory. This region, Phoenicia, that was controlled by Syria at the time. So you have uh, the title, the Syro-Phoenician woman. This region around Tyre is sort of this iconic thing in the Old Testament where, where, where a famous figure of, of evil, of paganism was from. The woman Jezebel is from here, who became like the model, the, the lasting image of what an evil woman was, this evil pagan 
idol-worshiping queen. And this is where Jesus now is, and he meets this foreign woman here. So to Jewish readers, this, this story already just reeks of scandal, that he would be in this place meeting with this woman. But look back at verse 24 very clearly, and he entered a house. Do you remember, from what we've studied so far, what happens in a house? When Jesus enters the house, always there's massive truth that's brought to light. So there's a clue right at the beginning that this is going to be an epic scene, an important scene that's going to play out. So while this remains scandalous, it's vastly important in the narrative of Mark's gospel, and it's it's even bigger than that. It's vastly important in the scope of redemptive history. So Jesus can't, can't hide anywhere. Um, he's, he's trying to remain hidden. He, he doesn't want anyone to know he's there, and yet uh, this woman finds him. And there's a, there, there's a clue clear back in, in chapter 3, this, the great crowd at the beginning of chapter 3 that was pressing around him when it lists all the places that people were from in that great crowd, Tyre and Sidon is listed there too. So his, his reputation has preceded him. She, she knows that he's there and she, she approaches him. And then, then we're introduced to this woman. So I've got to share a phrase with you from, from my reading this week because it's, it's just a brilliant it's just a brilliant phrase, the way that, that, um, that he described. James, James Edwards is uh, one of the commentators that, that I'm using for this study. And he says that the introduction, the description of this woman reads like a crescendo of demerit. So crescendo is, is a term borrowed from, from music. This slowly building, compounding increase of, of, of volume and intensity that, that slowly builds on itself. And then demerit is something that's wrong with you. It's false. It's offensive even. The marks against you. It's points that have been taken away. So her, her description, her introduction reads like this, a crescendo of demerit. These are definitely not things you would put on your resume. So Mark introduces this woman in this historically pagan region that's already a scandalous setting, but when he introduces her, it's with this cascade of words that just reads like a rap sheet, a building description of all that's wrong with her. And when you get to then the top of this swelling wave of all of her faults, you're left with the understanding that she is totally and completely unworthy to approach a, a devout Jewish teacher like this. She shouldn't be there. She's a woman, and in that day, it was disrespectful to rush in and to, to put yourself in front like this. She was a Gentile, and good Jews just didn't mix with pure Gentile sinners. You just didn't. She's a Syrophoenician by birth, so her family line has never been favorable in the eyes of Israel's descendants. And then she has a demon-possessed daughter, so clearly she must have been doing something wrong. 
She must have been meddling with something, and at the very least, she's, she's just probably not a great mom. Even Levi, you remember Levi, the tax-collecting treasonous man, most hated of the most hated, even Levi might have raised an eyebrow in this setting with this woman rushing in to fall at Jesus' feet. Verse 25 says, her little daughter, her little daughter is possessed, and that's a, that's a beautiful detail to include. It's almost the same, very much the same description as the little daughter of Jairus back in chapter 5. It's inviting a connection. And if we make that connection, we see a tremendous contrast. Jairus was a man of, of good standing, upright, a ruler of the synagogue with a good reputation and a good pedigree. And this woman is a, a Gentile and a pagan by birth that has nothing going for her. She has no business approaching Jesus like this. And we're introduced to her with this crescendo of demerit as she enters the house. Which again is a setting in Mark's gospel always where deep, big, transcendent truth is always brought to light in this setting. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus in a posture of reverence, respect, and expectation. Well, she has no business having any hopeful expectation of Jesus. But here she is. If the whole scene isn't like, you know, scandalous enough, if we can capture that in our minds, then we get to uh, Jesus' just somewhat odd response in this brisk, brisk parable. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What in the world is he saying? So before we dig in too far, let's let's apply a, a, a logical approach to this. There, there's this principle called the perspicuity of Scripture or the clarity of Scripture. And it generally means that where, where there's something that we can know to be true broadly in, in all of Scripture, that is also true when we get to these, these tight, uh, small places where it seems difficult and it seems like a contradiction. There are no contradictions in the Word of God. That's sort of the basis of this principle. So when we get to this place where it, it, seems, like, it seems like this is against the character of God or the nature of who Jesus is, then, then we must know that... W- we're missing something. We've got to dig in a little bit more. We've got to, we've got to do a little bit more study because this, this would be against the nature of who Christ is to, to just outright reject and insult in the process. So we would apply that like this. We've already seen repeatedly through the book of Mark, Jesus willingly and openly interacting with people who would be rejected, who would be outsiders, who would be unclean, calling them to himself even. Levi is among his disciples. And just last week we saw Jesus vehemently oppose the idea that things can make a person unclean, that things can defile you. 
So we can't imagine with his staunch, firm opposition to that idea that outside unclean things are what defile you, we can't imagine then that he would maintain a position that unclean people would defile you. He's made it clear that that what defiles us, what makes us unclean comes from within a person, from the heart that we all have, including this woman. So this scene remains scandalous, but Jesus is not and cannot respond with revulsion to a woman like this. That would be inconsistent with his nature, and as history proves, it would be inconsistent with his mission on earth. The inclusion of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God was was always part of the plan. So at this point, even if we don't yet fully understand what Jesus is saying, we can at least know that there's got to be more to this than what initially meets the eye. We can at least know that we've got to set this aside for a moment and dig in a little bit deeper to fully understand what's happening here. So a couple of things. Jesus Jesus does not refuse her request, but he responds with a parable. It's not an outright refusal. His response is a short parable. Let the children be fed first. This is about the order of things, not the importance of things, not them to the exclusion of you. So that word first, uh, you know, we always tend to place importance, best, um, better. Like, uh, you know, you think of just the order of numbers, one, two, three. Two just comes after one. But in that case, like we're, we're used to, you win a race and you get first place, that's better than second place. And even with second place, that's a first loser. So even when we're talking about anything after that, we still put an order of importance on, on things. So the order of the alphabet. Uh, B just comes after A. But if we're, you know, we're, we're then we're reminded of grades in school and uh, A is better than a B. So I think maybe, maybe a, a helpful illustration is, is like peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's just always peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter always comes first. And I, you know, if you think about it, I think I, I always put the peanut butter on the bread first, I think. I don't know why. Why do we do that? It's, it's peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly. It's just, it's always peanut butter and jelly. Jelly comes second. And it seems like we talk a lot about sandwiches in this study of Mark. What's Mark about? Sandwiches. <laughs> Ham sandwiches, because the Jews would not eat them. But, but this idea of the order of importance, the order of God's mission comes up multiple times. Paul writes about it really clearly in Romans 1.16 when he's saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, to everyone who believes. But then he adds this, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. The mystery of the order of things in in God's redemptive plan is is really encapsulated here. There was an order to it, but not an exclusion. Does that make sense? For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
Look at this picture. This was about six years ago. Kate and Maggie are quite a bit smaller. Claire was just born. And that's our little dog, Phoebe. She was the dog that Gail and I bought. Like, well, we're not ready to have kids yet. Let's get a dog for a while. And, and we, we loved that dog. And her favorite place at, at mealtime was under the high chair for all four of our kids. And anything that fell off that high chair was hers. All of it. And this is the word that Jesus uses for dog. Not street mongrel. Not the one that deserves kicked. But little dog. Household dog. The pet. Also part of the household. This is a teaching moment. Jesus doesn't refuse outright. He responds with a parable to help understand why she's here. Does she know who he is? What, what is she coming to him for? And this Gentile, pagan, Syrophoenician by birth woman responds beautifully. This is the first time you can mark this down. The, the first time in, in the Gospel of Mark that somebody hears a parable of Jesus and understands it is a Gentile, Syrophoenician, pagan woman with a demon-possessed daughter with nothing, no merit to her name. She responds with humility. And she responds in faith. To hear Jesus' words, which has always been his call, hear and understand. If you have ears, hear. She hears what he's saying and enters into that parable and embraces her place in it. So she shows how great her understanding is with this really clever response. Yes, Lord, she says. So, so right in her response, she's recognizing the right place of who Jesus is, is His Lordship. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She, she, she hears his, his word. This is the household pet, the beloved little dog. She hears that word and, and enters into the parable, recognizing her place in it. But then she does something subtle here that we totally miss in the English. Jesus uses the biological word for children, meaning Israel. It would not be right to, to take the, the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Speaking biologically of Israel, ethnically of Israel, she makes a subtle change and uses the household word for children, which would include servants or friends. So, we can say that if I said our kids are downstairs, that's true. Maggie and Claire and Charlie are downstairs right now in kids' church. As a church, we can also say our kids are downstairs. And those mean totally different things, don't they? She cleverly, she gets it. She's heard him. She understands what he's saying and has entered into that parable and said, yeah, I, I hear you. But even the household children 
Even the household children, as those crumbs fall, the the dogs can pick those up too. I'm going to be included even in the household. Her humility is expressed. It comes out as she believes in the character and the nature of who Jesus is and just readily accepts his parable, readily accepts that he's teaching her in this moment, that he's responding to her in this moment with, with teaching And then her faith is demonstrated better than the disciples up until this point. Her faith has demonstrated that she understands the supernatural abundance of Jesus Christ as God come to earth to save sinners. She understands the supernatural abundance there so that, hey, if I can just get a spot under the table, I will never be hungry. So she gets the idea of feeding the children first is not to the exclusion of other hungry mouths in the household. That would be against the character and nature of the master of the house. Our little dog, Phoebe, ate well. We fed her. I mean, she had food. But anything that fell from that table, anything that fell off the high chair was rightfully hers. So this woman demonstrates a humble faith in Jesus, approaching him, entering into his teaching, rightly recognizing her place there, and simply asking for what he's willing to give. There's a simple trust in the God-ordained order of things. There's a bold belief in the superabundance of who Jesus is. And then her humble faith is just asking for what's already hers in Christ. By faith. She wants Him. She's come to Him. She believes who He is. She understands who He is and is asking for Him to do what only He can do. Stand against the demonic forces that are, that are gripping her little daughter. And then Jesus responds with delight. So you've got to see in Jesus' response this radiant smile of delight that washes across his face when he sees the humble faith in in this woman that's come to him. And he delights then in healing her daughter without really even saying a word. Finally, finally, someone gets it. Finally, someone's actually hearing and understanding. So he willingly, joyfully sends her home and where she would find her, her little daughter healed. A concluding thought before we get to uh, just our response. Um, last week was a, was a pivotal story in, not only in the Gospel of Mark, but in, in redemptive history. Jesus strenuously stressed the the undoing of the stacking up of all the laws, the pharisaical laws, and he turned the focus inward, which effectively increases the crisis. It's not things or food that make us unclean, it's us. There are no defiling things, but our hearts are vile, and so we need a Redeemer who replaces that heart with a new one. 
took the well-known idea of cleaning the inside of a cup to make it clean and brilliantly applies it to the human heart. The inside, it's us. It comes from within. So here, again, in this historically pagan city that's only ever been this model of paganism locally, earlier I had said that this is a powerful story, and, and, and here's why. Jesus shows that, that no one is too far off. No one is too far off. There are no unclean things. Sin comes from the heart. And now, in Christ, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, this humble, simple faith, Jesus shows there are no unclean people. It is Jesus who declared things to be clean and foods to be clean and rightly places the origin of sin in us. And then it's Jesus who declares people clean, rightly placing the solution for sin in Him. Do you see how those work together? And do you see what a change this makes, how pivotal and how important and how epic this is in all of redemptive history? Sin is in Sin comes from within. It's not something you fix by washing your hands. It's not something you fix by just going to church. It's not something we fix. The solution for sin is rightly, firmly, and completely placed on Jesus, who enters into the drama of human history, enters into the human timeline to meet a woman like this in a house in a pagan land. And so he meets you and I in the same place. In him is redemption. The implications of of this story ripple through history and ripple through the rest of the New Testament. If you want to look at Acts chapter 10, Acts just chronicles the, the birth and the movement and the expansion of the church. As these men, the disciples who are watching a story like this, play out right in front of them, try to figure out how do we make sense of all of this. Acts chapter 10 is when God gives Peter a vision about unclean foods and clean foods and unclean people and clean people. It's an it's a epic, pivotal moment that's repeated three times in the book of Acts. It's so important. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes really clearly, about those who were far off and those who were near, the Gentiles and the Jews, and it's Jesus who's making peace between those who were far off and those who were near, bringing them together, making one man, one body out of the two, bringing peace and connection and unity between those who were far off and those who were near, and that's, that happens in Jesus. Those who were far off, that's us. This story is, is one of those roots all the way back where we can see that Jesus came for us too. Jesus came for you too. Let's look at, let's look at a response. In our hearts, I kind of broke this up into kind of three, three categories as far as a response goes for us. In our own hearts, 
humble, this, this kind of humble faith, that we would delight to be little dogs in the household, that we would, we would see our place in that parable the same way this woman does, that we would delight to be little dogs in the household with an abundantly generous master. Because the woman's turn of phrase to go from biological children to household children means that we're not just relegated to sweeping crumbs off the floor. We're included in the household as children. Scripture uses words like immeasurably when it describes the grace of God that's poured out in Christ. Immeasurable riches. For our church, that we would see that somehow in God's grand plan of redemption, there's something transcendent, there is transcendent value in being in a house. And Paul writes later, calling the church the household of God. That the local church is meant to be, meant to to somehow give us that picture and that relationship and that connection and that environment that that recreates this house environment where every time Jesus enters into a house in Mark's gospel, there's truth that's brought to light. And then for our mission, that we would recognize that our own resume reads like a crescendo of demerit. A list of faults. A list of points taken away. A list of offenses. And if our posture is that, that we look at our own resume, our own best efforts, read like a crescendo of demerit, then that turns us outward with grace and with patience and with persistence to pursue our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and our city with the gospel of Jesus. The good news of one who has entered into humanity in order to save and redeem. And ultimately that we would, by God's grace, bring others into the household. Bring others into the kingdom of God. This was Jesus' mission all the way back to chapter 1. The kingdom of God would advance and expand and grow and move. And it's the preaching of the gospel, the speaking of good news that advances and pushes that kingdom forward. And then lastly, that we would just get another clear glimpse of who Jesus is, the superabundance of his provision to any and all who respond in faith to him. So look back, and it was, it was fascinating to study this parable out and see this woman just enter right into the parable and then to go back and look at some of Jesus' other parables. How do we enter into what he's teaching and hear then with humble faith? His abundance, his provision, immeasurable is the right word. Generous, even falls short. 